Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello and welcome back to Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Here are your headlines. G20 is reviewing new proposals for cross-border crypto regulation. Where is it headed? Our live guest today, Ari Redboard for TRM Labs, will tell us what this all means for the crypto asset space. You need to be here for this one. I'm Elaine Lee, everybody. Good morning. Your friendly crypto host and producer at Real Vision. Ash Bennington is with me. Ash, is that a new PFP on Twitter? Yes, it is, Elaine. This is the new Real Vision uh, Pro Crypto NFT, which I minted uh, actually during a recording session yesterday. And we're going to be showing that, I believe, on the Real Vision platform to our pro subscribers shortly and maybe other folks after that. We'll see. Love that. Now, for those of you who are watching, don't forget to subscribe to Real Vision Crypto. It's free. And now, if you're watching on YouTube, like, subscribe, and hit that notification bell so you don't miss it when we go live. All right, now let's jump straight into the price action. Brutal day. It feels like every asset class is on fire. Bitcoin has dropped to the lowest level since 2020, back when it was on the ascent. A very different sentiment right now. Bitcoin hit a low of 18319 on coin market cap. Now, we saw the price suffer on a sharp drop when the latest US inflation data landed. Once again, it came out higher than expected. The consumer price index was up 8.2% from a year ago. On a monthly basis, it grew after two months of declines. Core inflation, which strips out volatile items like food and energy, was up 6.6 on an annual basis. That's the biggest yearly rise in four decades. Apologies for the doom and gloom. Ash, are things a little bit better over on the Ethereum side? Well, it's definitely an ugly print on CPI, no question about it, came in hot. But I want to switch gears here a little bit because I just literally, Elaine, as we've been talking here, some late-breaking news in terms of what's happening in U.S. equity markets. Sharp reversal now in U.S. equity markets. Uh, looks like, uh, let me just switch to my Bloomberg here and take a look at the intraday chart uh, on the S&P 500. Basically, out of the gate, significant drop uh, when we see that, that CPI print at 8.30 this morning. But then uh, just a massive turnaround. It looks like we're up... Uh, uh, on the day, intraday on S&P 500, nearly 2% now. So obviously, there's something of a whipsaw effect happening in U.S. equity markets right now. Of course, we're going to be following that story here and, of course, on Real Vision Finance. Uh, let's talk a little bit here uh, about what's happening in Ethereum. Ethereum, in percentage terms, uh, it suffered a bigger drop uh, than Bitcoin over the past 24 hours. It's now trading uh, around the $1,200 mark. But we saw ETH drop below $1,000 earlier this year uh, when there were wide Wild swings in anticipation of the merge. Speaking of the merge, ETH has hit a milestone. Coinbase says the currency was deflationary for the first time since the transition to proof of stake. This means more ETH was burned while verifying transactions than was created during the same time period. This led to a reduction of 0.13% in supply last week, Elaine. 
Very, very interesting stuff. Okay, now, Ash, I want to bring your attention to one more digital currency that we're looking at, which is HT. Now, HT is the native token of the crypto exchange Herbie. It's surged to the highest level since June. That's after Tron founder Justin Sun announced he joined Herbie's global advisory board. Sun says the only way to revitalize Herbie is to empower HT. Now, let's take a look at our top stories today. Now, according to data from Chain Analysis, this is the worst month ever for crypto-related crimes. And we're not even halfway there. So spooky and scary season is real, everybody. The company has calculated nearly $720 million has been stolen across 11 DeFi hacks. Now, Chain Analysis says that this year is on track to be the worst year for a hacking on record so far three billion dollars have been stolen uh, across 125 hacks. Ash, what do you make of the facts and the stats here? Well, you know, Elaine, we've covered two notable ones, two notable hacks on this show in the past few days. Uh, around $100 million was stolen each uh, in the Binance chain attack on Friday and in Tuesday's Mango exploit. Uh, we spoke to DeFi about DeFi at length yesterday with Mona El Isa. Uh, do check out that conversation if you haven't already for a little bit of a deep dive analysis on the Binance chain uh, hack as well as the mango exploit you know for where we are right now elaine these hacks seem to be very much part of the space this is something that's happening uh it seems like on a weekly basis sometimes more than once a week but i have to say elaine uh the bitcoiners are sitting back uh and saying you know what bitcoin is doing while all this stuff is happening out there in the broader space, Bitcoin is doing exactly what it's designed to do. Uh, it's mm. securing transactions on the chain, uh, and it has continued to function flawlessly while we've seen all of these hacks out there in the space. That's not a sort of a, a partisan statement about Bitcoin. That's just a, a, a neutral observation of the facts of what's happening right here, right now, Elaine. All right. Now, Ash, let's take a look at the two stories that I want to bring up that's uh, related into regulation. The first up is finance ministers from G20 and central bank governors are meeting in Washington today to discuss new proposals. And Ari, who is our guest coming on a little bit later, is right in the heart of that for cross-border regulations of crypto assets. Look, 19 countries and the European Union make up the G20. That includes these countries, the US, China, India, Japan and Germany. The framework under discussion was prepared by the OECD, which is the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. Ash, this is very much a moment where I feel like every state who has a seat on the table is just like, crypto team, assemble! <laughs> That's an interesting way of thinking about it. Look, I, I think that this is a moment for regulation as we as we see it more broadly uh, across the space here in the United States and in Europe. Uh, I've talked about this before, how I think 2023 and 2024, the primary issues that are going to be on the table are going to be these legal, regulatory compliance and indeed legislative issues. Uh, so this is something that's being sorted out right now. You know, this report, Elaine, that you've alluded to is over 100 pages long, I think. So I'll give just a brief summary here of some of the key points. The OECD says that currently crypto assets and related transactions are not covered by its common reporting standards that's also known by its acronym CRS, which increases the likelihood of their use for tax evasion in the view of this report at least. The OECD says the framework, that's the CRS framework, is supposed to ensure transparency with respect to crypto asset transactions through automatically exchanging information with the jurisdictions of residents of taxpayers on an annual basis in a standardized manner similar to CRS. The framework defines what crypto assets and NFTs are uh, and includes provisions for cryptocurrency derivatives trading, according to analysis by Decrypt Media. Notably, the U.S. 
crypto exchange Coinbase says it believes the rules will not will not apply in the U.S. because uh, here in the United States, uh, we will have our own rules, according to analysis from Coinbase, Elaine. All right. Lots of information there. Lots happening on the grounds of D.C. Now, the other story that I wanted to bring up was Bloomberg reports that the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission has launched an investigation into Yuga Labs, the creators of Bored Apes Yacht Club. The SEC is examining whether some of Yuga's NFTs are securities and therefore should have been registered with the regulators. It's also looking at the distribution process of the ApeCoin token. Ash, this sounds serious. I mean, should Ape to uh, hold be worried and has Yuga Lab said anything? Well, Lane, it's important to point out three qualifications. First, uh, Yuga hasn't been accused of any wrongdoing. Second, this hasn't officially been confirmed, meaning the probe at, at SEC hasn't officially been confirmed. It's according to, quote, a person familiar with the matter. That's from Bloomberg reporting. Uh, third, and this is an important point for people to realize, especially people who are kind of on the tech side and are just learning about these uh, regulatory aspects, that the opening of an SEC probe doesn't mean the agency will take an enforcement action uh, against the target of that probe. So just a little bit of framework there. You know, you got you asked about uh, the Yuga comment and Yuga told Bloomberg in a statement uh, that it is cooperating with inquiries and that it hopes to partner with the industry and regulators to define and shape what it called the burgeoning ecosystem. You know, Elaine, we've we've been we've been seeing this debate across uh, crypto assets for a very long time. Uh, this is exactly what I've been talking about on the show on the show: the unresolved legal, regulatory, compliance issues that we have here. It's it's probably, at least in my view, the single biggest open issue in the space. Uh, one of those questions from uh, a legal, regulatory, and compliance perspective is. What is and what is not a security? This is something that is at the very heart of the industry right now. I, again, I believe this is probably the single biggest uh, question and concern in the space. Uh, of course, alongside probably the other one, which is the regulation of stable coins, which is also in the works. A little bit of news flow on that this morning as well. Um, but I'd be very interested to hear our guest thoughts on all of this. Let's. Um, um, yeah, no, of course, um, we're going to go to ha Harry soon. But look, these are big themes and themes that we follow regularly on Real Vision, you know, but I know how big the, the Yuga system ecosystem is, but I do think there is bigger fish to fry out there rather than gunning for some monkeys. Someone like me who is pro crypto would think if they do come down hard on the apes, you know, what does this mean for innovation? It's definitely one to keep an eye on. So yes, Ash, let's bring in our next guest, um, Ari Redboard. He is the legal and government, he's the head of legal, I should say, head of legal and governmental affairs at TRM Labs. He has previously worked at the US Treasury and the Department of Justice. This. Ari, you've been listening into those stories. What are your thoughts and what do you make of them? I have. Uh, for, first of all, thank you so much to both of you and Real Vision for having me this morning. Uh, so much going on uh, in the space. Um, I don't even know where to begin, to be totally honest with you. Um, so, uh, you know, what, what's interesting is is even just thinking through the sort of first, your first story uh, of the three, the hack story. I mean, really, t at TRM, we've been tracking those hacks, you know, very, very closely. And, you know, what, what we're seeing is of the billions of dollars that have been hacked, uh, over the course of 2022, 95% of the total amount stolen has been in the DeFi space. So this is an overwhelming sort of real issue around around DeFi today. Um, we're seeing a hack in the DeFi space about every three and a half days. And the 10 largest cryptocurrency hacks so far in 2022 all were against DeFi protocols or DeFi related businesses. And I think that obviously there is a crypto issue here because crypto is the uh, target of of these attacks. But there's really an underlying cybersecurity issue. And I think it's so critical that as sort of DeFi projects build, 
they're building with cybersecurity as foundational infrastructure. And, you know, a couple things are going on here. One, you're seeing really bad actors, state actors like North Korea, attack cryptocurrency businesses at alarming speed and scale. And for them, it's a way to fund weapons proliferation and other destabilizing activity. But really, even for the broader sort of crypto community issues, right, building this ecosystem, you know, no one is going to put their funds in a DeFi protocol if they think they could be hacked or stolen, uh, you know, with, within a day or two. And I think that that's what's really so important. Even if you remove the national security issues from this, uh, cybersecurity is so critical because in order for this ecosystem to grow, people are going to have to have trust. And to me, trust is really what uh, what is the victim of of these hacks and attacks. So uh, I, I just sort of wanted to throw out some 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 interesting information on, on the hack space because it's something we at TRM are are, are following very very closely. Uh, yeah, no. Oh, sorry, Ash, look, I, I just wanted to jump in very quickly and say, like, you know, as this space sort of grows, cybersecurity is absolutely something um, that they should be aware of as well at the same time. And what you just said there, Harry, is just some really, really um, sobering issues and thoughts that we have to, to leave the show to take away with. Um, Ash, I'll hand it over to you with your interview. Happy to dive into regulation as well. Yeah. Um, Ash, I'll hand it over to you for an interview with Ari. Ari, uh, thank you so much for coming uh, back on Real Vision. We always enjoy having you here. Uh, we should say Elaine will be back at the end of this conversation with some key takeaways. Uh, but Ari, you know, you, you mentioned obviously this enormous amount of activity that we see happening in the space, some significant security issues, some significant regulatory, uh, legal and compliance issues. Let me ask you this. So when, when you're up at midnight thinking about this space and you're jotting notes and trying to get your head around the big picture, the 50,000 foot overview of everything that's happening here, what are, the, what are the categories that you draw out? What are the high level functional buckets? How do you think about the characterization of all of these things that are happening in the space on the security side and also on the legal regulatory and compliance side? Yeah, no, it, it's an awesome question. And I think interestingly, the OECD piece, the G20 piece really sort of speaks to this. And that is, look, I mean, that is very much a specific sort of taxation issue. And I think global governments are trying to understand sort of like, how do we limit tax evasion in crypto by having sort of cross-border standards? How do we standardize sort of these processes for what sort of regulators deal with? But you can really extrapolate from that most recent example to say, hey, look, I mean, the nature of cryptocurrency, right, cross-border value transfer at the speed of the internet requires some sort of global regulatory framework. And believe me, I am not naive enough to think that you know, regulators globally or policymakers are going to get together and 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 really create sort of a a global regulatory regime for this. But I think standards are important, and I think we're starting to see the development of standards, even if they're not official. You know, for example, you mentioned the stablecoin space earlier. Um, you know, two years ago, three years ago, Libra launched, right? And global regulators, uh, you know, Facebook's sort of failed stablecoin project and global regulators tried to really understand, all right, sort of what are the risks and opportunities here in the stablecoin space? Well, over the last two years, we've seen some actually uh, coalescence in that space. You know, I think that in the in the wake of the collapse of Terra, global regulators and, and industry has said, all right, you know, some standards around what is reserve requirements is probably something that you know, policymakers and, and even business leaders in the crypto space have really sort of gotten their head around. And that's why we're likely to see stablecoin legislation of some kind in the U.S. maybe prior to any sort of more comprehensive um, framework. Uh, but there are so many other examples of this, right? right. You know, you're talking about anti-money laundering, for example, which is what we focus on uh, at TRM. And the FATF, the Financial Action Task Force, is sort of the global standard setting body 
for anti-money laundering. And we're starting to see more and more regulations sort of adopt those FATF standards, requirements around what they call the travel rules, funds transfer uh, information. Um, we've seen sort of other anti-money laundering related standards. Um, just just closing up here, it's like, you know, even, even in Europe, uh, which is not always a place where, you know, the, the, all the different member states come together, we've seen an agreement on Mika, which we've talked about, I believe, on your show before, the Markets and Crypto Assets Regulation, which is really the first global, um, you know, uh, regulatory body to come out with um, actual um, comprehensive framework for digital assets to regulate stable coins, uh, to regulate sort of um, consumer protection related issues. And most importantly, and I'm not sure if we'll ever get to a global stage like this, Mika, Mika allows for what they call a passportable license, meaning that if you are a cryptocurrency business and you get a license in Germany, that license is also good in France or, or Greece or uh, Spain or another member state. And that is so important because when you talk to cryptocurrency businesses and we talk to our clients all the time, they want more than anything else is regulatory clarity. And that allows right. us to know that, hey, like if we get a, if we get on a license in this jurisdiction, it's, it's passportable. Can we actually get that going on a global scale? I think very much TBD, unlikely. Um, but I think that was sort of that would be the holy grail of the space. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I mean, I hear this all the time when I speak to people, which is, hey, listen, we're good actors. We want to be able to comply with whatever the regular, relevant regulation is. Uh, what seems to have the space pretty freaked out is this idea of regulation by enforcement, which is this this notion that essentially uh, there's a line that's drawn in the sand somewhere. You don't know exactly where that line is, but you get tapped on the shoulder by a regulator when you cross that line. Yeah, no, at, look, as a former regulator, I don't want to get in trouble defending sort of the regulators here and the and law enforcement. But I think part of the issue in the U.S. is that, you know, the hill moves slowly, you know, um, you know, policymakers, legislators move slowly and particularly in this space, particularly in the political environment. So really what the Biden administration decided to do and credit to them for really being the first U.S. presidential administration to really talk about crypto in a meaningful way. Um, what you know, whether you agree or disagree, uh, we now have some sort of framework for how at least this administration is thinking about crypto. So when they, uh, you know, did the executive order on cryptocurrency, it basically tasked the interagency to provide reports, which they have now done. Um, and those reports talk about everything from securities to illicit finance risk to consumer protection. Um, and I say we talk about sort of, you know, regulation by enforcement action, but we are developing sort of case law around sort of what regulators are expecting, at least in this environment today. We absolutely need definitions from policymakers. But just, uh, you know, for example, on Monday, OFAC brought its largest enforcement action. Uh, By the, the way, for, for folks yeah. who don't know, this is the Five Office of Foreign <laughs> Asset Control at Treasury that handles money laundering uh, and, and sanctions regimes uh, to sanction states. But please. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. So OFAC is the U.S. sanctions regulator. And OFAC brought its largest enforcement action ever in the crypto space against a cryptocurrency exchange, Bittrex, for not having sanctions compliance controls in place and essentially allow, allowing uh, 
users from places like Iran and Cuba and 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 Sudan who are who are blocked jurisdictions from interacting on that that platform. And through this enforcement action and actually a series of other enforcement actions, what we now can glean is that OFAC expects uh, cryptocurrency businesses to use blockchain intelligence like TRM to use geolocation solutions to have tools to ensure that uh, sanctioned users or sanctioned jurisdictions aren't um, aren't engaging with their platform. Again, you know, enforcement act, you know, regulation by enforcement action, not ideal, and definitely not advocating for it. But like, I think when the bit, when the the when the uh, space is looking for regulatory clarity, we're getting some through a series of actions right now. Um, but but I think one of the core problems, and I think you've gotten to this, and we can talk about it more in a moment, is we do still have all these different regulators in the U.S., the SEC, the CFTC, OCC, Treasury, uh, and they're really sort of vying for who is going to be the regulator in the space. And there's not clarity around that today. Well, you know, the other thing that I think in people's minds that there's not clarity around, and I'm, I'm mindful of the fact that uh, you know, there are many people in this space who come uh, to us from the technology side, not necessarily from the finance or business side. And it's sort of like the feeling you get if you're not a, a tech person and you wind up in a meeting with a really smart uh, guy or gal in the tech space and they go up on a whiteboard and they start drawing stuff and they're talking about the tech stack and TCP IP and all these terms. And people go, I don't, I don't even understand the layers here. Like, I don't even understand what the lanes are. So we're talking about all of these different sort of types of activities, uh, different types of challenges. So just to just to highlight them for our audience so they can try and get their heads around this, right? So we're talking about, on the one hand, we're talking about the, the regulation of collateral behind stable coins. This is the idea that if you have a stable coin that's supposed to be stable in US dollars, it has to have stable collateral backing it if it's a, uh, if it's a dollar backed asset. And then we're talking about uh, SEC, which is the civil regulator here uh, in the United States of, uh, of, 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 the, of, of the stock market, to keep it very simple, uh, then that makes the decision about whether something is or is not a security. And if they believe it's not a security, they file suit in federal court. Then we have OFAC out of the Department of Treasury that is, as you say, uh, the sanctions regulator for the United States. Uh, boy, what am I missing here? We have CFTC, we have OCC, we have all these different regulators who are doing different things. And I think that very often, particularly people from the tech side, their head starts to spin when they try and understand all of these different sort of heterogeneous activities from different agencies for, through different jurisdictions, all happening simultaneously, it's a hell of a time. No, it's really well said. Uh, you know, I spent time recently in Singapore and, you know, you have the central bank is also the financial regulator, the uh, the financial regulatory body there, MAS, the Monetary Authority of Singapore. And like, there's, it's, 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 uh, there's something nice about that, uh, not having to worry about all these regulators, but you're absolutely right. And there's so much activity and we didn't even get into, you know, the Department of Justice is now taking a hard look at this space and is actually bringing criminal prosecutions, which is very, very different. You know, um, you know, SEC violation, as you mentioned, is civil. It, the penalty is a fine. When the DO, when the Department of Justice is investigating a case, the the um, the penalty is is criminal, meaning you could go to jail. And um, that is another entity that is looking at fraud, financial yeah. crime, national security risk in the crypto space. So you're absolutely right. There are so many different regulatory yeah. pieces to this. I mean, we talked about the OECD early on. This piece is around taxation. Well, tax authorities globally are looking into how to regulate in the cryptocurrency space. So I will say one thing that's but but what we love. And the thing that is so cool about crypto is it touches every aspect of society. And that's why sort of every one of these regulators globally is starting to figure out how to engage in this space. I mean, environmental, what what else touches environmental, uh, you know, financial uh, stability, financial inclusion, anti-money laundering, consumer protection? I mean, it's really just extraordinary when you think about the breadth of this. 
Yeah, and as you say, this idea that it touches everything, that's the power and glory uh, of crypto. But additionally, it's its also why it's so confounding uh, for people to get their heads around, particularly people in this space, I think, who are passionate about the technology, who want to be good actors, who want to build, who want to create businesses, and they just feel like they're just getting, they're just getting whacked from every possible domain. And they're really struggling to keep up with, uh, with all of this, to try to be compliant, to try and be a good actor, to try and follow the law, to try and follow the guidelines. No, absolutely. And look, we, we work with crypto businesses across the spectrum, everything from, you know, small DeFi protocols that are trying to understand how do we engage with sanctioned addresses or um, or high risk addresses all the way through uh, to sort of the largest cryptocurrency businesses. And I will say that, like the vast, the overwhelming majority are trying to or just want to comply, just want to do the right thing. And even right. more importantly than comply Obviously, you know, regulators don't like to hear this, but more important than compliance is ensuring that this ecosystem is safe because none of this works if bad actors are just able to take advantage of it sort of wholesale. And right. um, honestly, that's what we spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week on at TRM. It's just like, all right, how can we provide tools to businesses that sort of help help them mitigate these risks? Yeah, and, and just to pick up on a point that you made there, and obviously these tracks are all happening simultaneously. SEC can refer to DOJ for criminal prosecution. Uh, as you said, SEC level, levies fines. The other thing that SEC can do is kick you out of the industry. That, 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 that's exactly right. And look, I mean, I think, you know, your, your Yuga Labs story really sort of gets to the heart of this. And I think the SEC today is taking a look at every little piece of the crypto ecosystem to make a determination about whether or not it believes something is a security. And area, I'm not going to ask you to sort of to take no, no, a decision sure, on this, but yeah. when we talk about Yuga Labs, for people out there who aren't attorneys, explain to them what the key issues at stake uh, in that case are, or at least as as it's been framed. Obviously, this isn't a, an official. There's been nothing official. This is just a sort of inside reporting that a probe has taken place. But give us a little bit of context when we hear a story like this. What does it mean? What are the key issues uh, that SEC is talking about, and why do they uh, feel that there is a compelling interest uh, to do so? No, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, look, it doesn't matter if it's a board ape or, you know, a crypto asset. It's really sort of I think what ultimately a court is going to decide is whether or not um, what we're talking about here is a security. And really what's what's amazing is you go back to 1940s case law, um, a, a case called Howey. And uh, Howey created a test that basically says, all right, is something an investment contract or not? And an investment contract essentially means that people are investing in something that a third party promoter ultimately controls the outcome of. And the craziest thing about Howie's it involved orange groves. It was a bunch of investors who wanted to buy plots of land in an orange grove. But the reality is they weren't farmers. They were investors. So the fruits of their, uh, uh, you know, it was really the fruits, for lack of a better Literally. Of, yeah, of course, of someone else's labor that determined their profit. And really... What 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 the SEC has said here is that if a you are investing in a crypto asset or an NFT project or something like that, where it is not the fruits of your labor, but the fruits of a third party's labor that determine the your profits, then that is a security. Well, ultimately, a court um, is going to look at various cases, a case involving Ripple, a case involving now, you know, potentially these uh, actually really interestingly, a case involving Coinbase for insider trading, where the SEC has this it says has said this is insider trading because these assets that they're trading are securities. And ultimately a court is gonna to have to determine under Howey whether or not these certain things are securities. But this, this more than any other issue, and I think you highlighted this really well, goes to the need for definitions in this space. You know, we need policymakers to say, is this a security? Is this a commodity? 
um, is this something that is used for payments the Treasury should be regulating? And that's the uh, and that's I think that's really the question of the day. Yeah, and just to just to sort of explain this a little bit for as people uh, are trying to to get their heads around this. So so one of the things that uh, is important to point out about the Howey test is that it has four prongs. I'm just going to read them again. I know we've done this on the show before, but yeah. the idea is that it's an investment of money in a common enterprise with the expectation of a profit to be derived from the efforts of others. Now, by that standard, uh, the, it does seem that there's an, an argument, an argument at least, to be made uh, that many of the things that we think of as coins are, in fact, securities. There's an argument to be made based yeah. on that test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, a a absolutely. And I think that I think the answer is probably at the end of the day, some things are and some things are not. And um, I think that ultimately what we're going to have to see is a court sort of making that determination and there are a number of cases, one involving Dapper Labs, NBA Top Shot, one involving, you know, now potentially Yuga Labs, I don't know, uh, you know, one involving the asset XRP from Ripple. Um, and I think, you know, look, the, the, you know, I know this is not the, the, the most helpful answer, but, you know, courts are going to make a decision and we're ultimately going to see how uh, Congress, Congress acts. Right. Right, and that's also another interesting thing, particularly for people who don't think a whole lot about public policy, is that there are there are sort of two tracks there as well, which is you have you have federal courts which interpret existing U.S. statutes, and then you have the ability of Congress uh, to come together to change those uh, statutes or to create new ones uh, to effectively address some of these questions, as you pointed out. Obviously, the Howey test dating back to the 1940s. We're sitting here having this conversation in 2022, and the, it, this is kind of a philosophical question, which is you know there are those who will argue, look, the technology is change. We're not talking about orange groves here. On the flip side, you'll have people who argue the converse, which is to say, nope, you know, some 80 years later, this is still the problem that you have people out there uh, who misrepresent investment schemes uh, and they do it to to prey on lesser sophisticated individuals and they need protection. So that that's an ongoing debate. It's an ongoing debate. And look, I mean, I think great case law, you can use, you can usually take and apply it to different, uh, you know, across time and, and, uh, and, and technology and all those sorts of things. And I think that like, the, the court will ultimately really look to those exactly those um, prongs uh, that you mentioned, Ash, and ultimately make a determination. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that like for better or worse, the, the, the courts are going to rely on Howie here. Um, but look, after all this is said and done, we'll have a Ripple test or we'll have a Yuga test. And th that'll be something that, you know, 100 years from now, right, or 50 years from now, uh, people say is outdated. Um, but I, I think that ultimately this is this is kind of the, the nature of case law and quite quite frankly, the foundation of our constitutional government. So it's I, I think this is all sort of a work in progress. And it really does like we are so in the weeds here, so far down the rabbit hole in the crypto space. But this all this all belies the fact that this is so early days. Right. We are in a, a space that is so nascent and so growing and so evolving so quickly. And that's why we don't sleep anymore. Uh, right. You know, but but it's also really, really exciting. Yeah, I, I think that's extremely well said. Ari, I, I could have this conversation with you for another four hours, uh, but I also want to bring in Elaine Lee, uh, who I know has been listening. Yeah, great conversation. And look, the team is at the back. I am listening in. And here are some of the key takeaways that we took away from your conversation. Look, number one, that we want to bring up the SEC is looking at every single digital asset, trying to determine whether it's if it's a security. It doesn't matter if it's a board at Yacht Club or another crypto, uh, crypto asset. Ari thinks that the courts will decide this. Number two is another thing that we picked up, that we need regulatory clarity on a global scale. Europe has the mica, but that's not enough. US policymakers need to get it together 
quick if they want to lead in this space. Now, number three is something that we know that people in DC and listening to Harry, you guys are working around the clock. So regulation, regulation, regulation has to be ironed out. And the industry wants the guidelines so they can sort of work within a right to comply framework. It's sort of like bashing on the table. If you give us the sort of right guides to follow, we will walk that road. So there needs to be some kind of systems in place to work out. And this is because this sort of irons out the way to work out and have systems that safe in place to work out who the bad actors are um, in this space. Um, I hope I got some of those things correct. So Ari, is there, is there anything that you'd like to add? Did we do a good job of that? You killed it. I, that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you, you were really good. Um, yeah, well, no. Look, you're on the treadmill. We're just running, <laughs> running with you on the sideline. Uh, yeah, I should have just had you say all of that and I could have just can't quite drink coffee. Um, no, that was, uh, absolutely, that was awesome. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Ash, um, what are your thoughts? And thank you for that great interview as always. Well, you know, I, Ari is one of my favorite guests because he really brings the scope to this. Because as we said, there are obviously there are so many moving parts here. Uh, and it's so important to have people, I think, who have the, the legal experience to understand what these issues at stake are. I really believe that 2022, 2023, 2024, legal, regulatory and compliance is going to be the key story. Uh, this has been yeah. an interesting an interesting space because what we saw regulators develop a, a very sort of hands-off approach in, in the early phases of this, which was kind of like, you kids with your internet money, go and have fun and try not to hurt <laughs> yourselves. And now we're in this period where we're seeing a, a, a obviously a significant scale uh, of these of these technologies, and we're also seeing broader adoption. I think one of the reasons why uh, SEC is interested in NFTs, for example, is because there's something that really connect with people at a very emotional level. I think in many ways for good, uh, but SEC also sees that I believe uh, it's fair to say uh, as a risk in terms of uh, in terms of investor protection. Uh, and then also, as Ari pointed out, you also have this idea that uh, there are uh, nation states out there that are sanctioned by the U.S. Department of Treasury uh, via OFAC. Uh, and those sanctions uh, are obviously a concern at the highest levels of government uh, in order to be able to enforce those sanctions regime. So we're starting to see uh, this space mature. We're starting to see these technologies come of age. We're starting to see these technologies become more broadly applicable. And as a consequence, we're seeing a great deal more uh, regulatory uh, and compliance scrutiny, Elaine. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. So good. So, so good. Honestly, you can only have these conversations right here on uh, Real Vision, but I'm not going to let you both go because obviously it looks really easy. You just click on the YouTube link, but honestly, to have Ari here uh, with us um, at New Eastern. So we're not going to let you go just yet without tackling uh, some of our disco discord questions, as I like to say. Um, so we have uh, some viewer questions. Crypto J, hello, Crypto J. Uh, his question is, what are the most promising strategies for tackling the issues of hacks? I don't know who wants to take that on. What are the most promising strategies for tackling the issue of hacks? Yeah, no, I, I, I can certainly uh, certainly do that. Look, I, I think, as, as I mentioned, you know, hacks are a crypto issue because crypto exchanges are being attacked. And it's just so, it's important to sort of have some perspective on that. Look, I mean, in the age of the internet, a hack meant the loss of, PII, you know, usernames and passwords. But in the age of crypto, a hack could mean the loss of someone's life savings. 
Um, it can also even worse potentially mean the you know stolen funds by North Korea to fund ballistic missiles programs. So I think it's just it is so critical. And look, I mean, I'm at a startup, right? Uh, you know, crypto startup we're building. But I think that like such a key here is that we talk all the time about you know building the plane while we're flying it scenario. But as right. you're building and as you're flying for a crypto business, particularly in the DeFi space, that cybersecurity layer really, really becomes important. And, yeah. um, you know, if you look at every one of the major attacks and North Korea is very, very good at this, it all comes down to some kind of like social or human engineering, right? We've heard about yeah. these, you know, North Korea actors reaching out for jobs and, and sharing a PDF link that ultimately uh, creates the malware and, and takes over the controls we've seen. And so cybersecurity is so critical. Education is so critical. And then having tools to ultimately follow those funds is also critical to try to work with law enforcement to get them back. So, um, look, I mean, I think it's 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 a real huge issue, not just from a national security perspective, but again, we all love this space and want to see mm -hmm. it grow. And I think that it will, it, you know, it, it we have to solve this problem. And you see regulators trying to solve it uh, yeah. with with sanctions, with other types of activity. And like, you know, Tornado Cash is a great example because the real key there is we saw OFAC go after a mixing service that was being used by North Korea actors, right? You know, according to TRM, you know, North Korea sent a billion dollars through Tornado Cash of hacked or stolen funds. But at the same time, those sanctioned affected regular users. So right. I think like as we talk all about this, it's so key for industry and government to get together and figure out how do we stop bad actors from hacking and then laundering those funds, but not affecting regular users who make up this broader crypto ecosystem. Yeah. And um, I, I think it's going to be something top of mind for a long time until yeah. we get straight. It sure is. And so, the, the, so let me just you, add two quick, two, two quick points on that. Go so, ahead, because I got one more. Go it, ahead. Ari just gave it to us very much from the from the sort of legal regulatory enforcement perspective. There's also a huge technology effort that has to be done here, uh, and in many ways that this is going to be in the domain uh, of the of the software engineers. Uh, we know that there are a lot of things that can be done in this space. We've seen it in the open source community before. Uh, obviously, we're talking about things like code audits bug bounties, lots of other types of techniques that are going to be done on the software side. And and then the final point, and I, I just want to make this clear for people out there who are listening, uh, who may be affected by uh, these hacks and these security exploits. You know, what is it going to take ultimately to solve these problems? It's kind of like having like your like 11 or 12 year old kid come up to you and say, I want to be tall like you, dad. Like, well, what's it going to take? It's going to take time. And I know that that's a very difficult answer, but I think it's important for people to understand that in the short term, perhaps even in the intermediate term, it's high highly likely, highly likely that we will continue to see these exploits take place. And people uh, who are speculating in these assets need to understand that, Elaine. Well said. Yes. Yeah, thank you both for that. Look, these things are so, so topical right now, especially with North Korea this week. Um, okay, now moving on to the next question is something, uh, one that we got off YouTube. Shashank Rai on YouTube. Hey, Ari, how much do you think the MICA Act in Europe will impact US lawmakers? That's a really good one. It's a really good question. And look, I mean, as I said, you know, we now have the first comprehensive legal framework globally anywhere in the world for for crypto assets. And um, there's no question that U.S. lawmakers are, are seeing this. Um, I, I testified before the House Financial Services Committee a couple weeks ago and was asked just this, you know, like it, we need to move quickly. We're seeing other jurisdictions move quickly. And um, I think the reality is that U.S. lawmakers are certainly focused on this. 
I think unfortunately the reality is that I don't know that we're in a political environment to pass something like that today. Um, Senators Lummis and Gillibrand uh, from Wyoming and New York respectively have proposed legislation that really is very much sort of amica for the US, right? Like a clear regulatory framework from definitions, what is a security, what is a commodity, to stable coins, to consumer protection, to environmental, to really all the things sort of across the crypto space. But the reality is we may get that hodgepodge or we talked about stable coins earlier, but I don't know that we're ready to get anything sort of really comprehensive passed. But it's a great question and I think it's top of mind for US lawmakers because the last thing you want to do as the US is be left behind in the sort of digital assets you know, space. And, and the Biden administration in its sort of first executive order or its executive order on this topic, it focused on the need for US leadership globally in this space. And US leadership means clear regulatory and, and, and policy frameworks. So uh, I, I don't know if that's a helpful answer because I think part of it is like, what is it, ashes? It will take time. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I think that's right. But I think that I, I think there's no question that Mika puts pressure on US lawmakers for sure. No, look, Rome wasn't built in a day. Ari, promise me you'll come back on the show very soon. <laughs> um, all right, let's do it, guys. Excellent. All right, Ash, stick around. Moving on to the next part of the show. Before we go today, we have a very special segment from our very own Samuel Burke. He is Real Vision's managing editor, and he is in Dubai for us for the World Blockchain Summit. He caught up with a very interesting guest. Take a little listen. Mario Nafo, founder, IBC Group and NFT Tech. Thanks for very much for joining us on Real Thanks Vision. for having me, man. I appreciate it. I really want to know, where are you investing in a down market, both in terms of crypto and the NFT space? Man, it's insane. I promise you, it's insane how underpriced things are. Underpriced. Underpriced. Of course, many things will go to zero, but you're seeing assets that, you know, they have users or they have, like we're buying a lot of media assets as well. Something, I remember there was a domain that was selling for two, they rejected an offer for $200 million in the bull market. Their entire company's market cap is below 10 million now. Like the numbers are insane. So what we're looking at is instead of just looking at assets, you know, digital assets, we're looking at acquiring attention, media. So we're buying a lot of media in the space. Now, in terms of digital assets, Raul will love this one, social tokens. I've been talking about social tokens for about a year and a half. So give us some specifics. I'll give you one because I'm still looking at the others. Yep. One is called DSO, Decentralized Social. They were called BitCloud initially. They're backed by everyone, like from Andreessen, Pantera, Coinbase Ventures, Winklevoss, the list goes on. But, but fundamentally, what excite, excites you about them? Diesel. They're early. The founder, Nadal Naji, he's called the grandfather of, of algorithmic stablecoins. So a smart guy, ethical, the things I look for. The protocol, they built an entire protocol, social protocol, ahead of anyone else, because they've been building for a while and raised a lot of money, man. Um, so that's probably one thing we're looking at. And in-game assets is, is the other asset we're looking at. And NFT-wise? In-game assets. So um, I'm, I'm still not that bullish on PFPs, even though on Twitter I've got my pun. Um, I, it's hard to value them. And looking at the valuation of apes and stuff, I could be the, 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 the odd one out here um, because their valuations speak for themselves. But it's just hard to see how that... It's, it's, I'm very deep into that space. I just struggle to value those communities. In-game assets for me, I see the utility. I'm seeing people buy in-game assets and use them. 
which they're the obvious use case of NFTs, digital ownership, owning a spaceship in one game and that being interoperable with another game and moving that spaceship to another game is something that just makes sense for me. And I'm not even a gamer. I can feel your optimism about this space. I'm curious what makes you worried about this space. When you look where you're investing, where, where someone that really, some, something that gives you caution. Yeah, look, we've, we passed the days of will crypto exist. I remember, you remember that in 2017, 2018, 2018 was like crypto's a fad. Now, it's no longer crypto's a fad. Now it's like NFTs are a fad or the metaverse aspects of crypto. So as an ecosystem, we're kind of past the stage that, hey, this is a fad. Um, for me, we've been past the stage for many years. But not everything's going to work. Exactly. So what worries me, I guess what worries me is things will go to zero. NFTs as a technology will, will be here to stay, but there's so many experiments going on. Will in-game assets as an investment work? Or should you buy the token of a project? Because in-game assets don't even have to go up in value. If you buy a gun in one game, and you want to use it like you can use it in different games. You don't buy that gun because it's going to go up in value. You buy it to use it. NFTs are mainly for utility, not for price appreciation. So investing in NFTs within a game is still a very risky investment for me. I'd rather go with the ecosystem tokens instead because it gives me full exposure. And when you see a mainstream name like CNN announcing in the past 24 hours that they're closing down their, their NFT space, what do you think about that? I mean, these were moments in, in TV history that you were supposed to own. It made a lot of sense to a lot of people. So when you see that disappearing and the promises that came along with those purchases. That's a rep that's a re I saw it today, this morning. The NFT space is just, you know, taking jabs at them like crazy because reputationally, they promise something to these holders of the NFTs. The announcement says that they're closing it down and they're not delivering the value they promised, correct? Correct. That's insane. Like their reputation's on the line. I'm sure they've given it a lot of thought, but it just shows a fundamental flaw in the, in the structure of NFTs right now. You sell an NFT, which is there in perpetuity, and you offer value that technically should be there in perpetuity. But where are you going to sustain that perpetual value? That's the, that, that mechanism hasn't been figured out yet and there's so many experiments going on so you think there are still big gaps in the nft space for for guarantees in, yeah like nft the way people look at nfts is so flawed because nfts are not pfbs they're not art nfts are the con it's just a concept owning something online i was on stage with tone i was doing my show on on the stage today i had tone base bitcoin maxi been in the space for a long time only likes bitcoin and even he, when I told him NFTs are just digital ownership, he's like, okay, that makes sense. I, I agree with this. I think it has a place to stay. For a Bitcoin maxi to say that, it's crazy. But when you go to people and say NFTs are in-game assets, they're PFPs, they're, you know, digital art that you promise X, Y, Z, access to ABC. That's, not, that's just not what NFTs are. It's just a small piece of the, the, the technology. And as we zoom out, look at the longer term future of this space, how do you onboard the next horde of adopters? Um, gaming. Um, I just think there's nothing as practical right now as gaming. It makes sense to gamers. It's already there. What actually achieved and is achieving, and I've spoken to Jihad a lot. He's been on my show a few times. And we've had this discussion. People are not understanding the, the importance of what Axie has done. They've shown probably one of the biggest use cases of blockchain technology in the short term. So for me, Focusing a lot more on gaming, and then what we'll see is gaming will evolve 
into social gaming, which includes signaling, relationship building. Now it's a metaverse. Now it's a social ecosystem. And what's a metaverse? It's a virtual world. Where when I've got my AirPods with me, when I put them on, I'm in my Web2 metaverse. Mario Nafo, gaming, gaming, gaming. And Thanks social for, tokens. <laughs> Thanks for joining us on Real Appreciate Vision. It, Thank you so much. You heard the man, things are underpriced right now. And this is somebody who is building and is buying. Now look, he may be a punk owner, but even he is struggling to value profile pictures, PFPs. But maybe NFTs as a gateway, as a social token, is what he is most excited about. Worth mentioning as well, the interoperability is very important to him, especially within the gaming industry. industry. So Connect Wallet Web3 Go. That is Mario Nafal that we just heard. Um, very good. Oh, so let's moving on. Oh, I see a little note coming from YouTube. Ah. Okay, now, um, moving on to the goodbye, I'm afraid. So, like, look, well, that's it for today. Don't forget to subscribe. Real Vision Crypto is free. For those of you who are watching on YouTube, hit the bell, hit the button, hit subscribe, so you can hang out with us, your Real Vision Crypto family. Tomorrow, we have Dave the Wave with the latest technical analysis with our technical wizard, Marco. He's back in the game tomorrow. But before we go, Ash, this was a monumental show for you, right? Yeah, this was number 600 here at Real Vision. Uh, and it's just a it's just a pleasure to get to do this, uh, Elaine, with you and Marco, Nico, Paul, uh, all the folks behind the camera uh, who we don't get to see, Arthur, Peter, so many great uh, folks here who are, who work to bring this. But but most of all, really, it's the viewers who make this possible. The fact that uh, folks are watching the show, that they're finding some value for it, and that they're interacting with us uh, by by submitting questions uh, and engaging on social media. It's just, a, it's just a pleasure to get to do this. And I should also say, we're in the middle of doing some big things here at Real Vision on the crypto side, especially. Uh, more news to come on that soon, but I mentioned, uh, obviously, the Crypto Pro token uh, during the show, and I suspect we're going to be seeing a lot more interesting things in that vein uh, in the coming months uh, and in 2023, Elaine. But a pleasure to be here, uh, and I just wanted to say thank you. Yeah, I feel like a Peloton instructor, you know, 600 ride, but look, happy 600 ash. Um, all right, let's wrap up. Join us here on Real Vision Crypto, same time tomorrow.